0: Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. One of the best pieces of feedback that I've gotten during the pandemic with the masterminds that I run is that principals are enjoying talking about instruction and not just talking about COVID rules and regulations. It's one of the great things that we get to do in the mastermind is focus on the things that really matter. And sometimes we try to focus on other things, on the distractions that take us away from our vision, but we're always able to come back because our whole goal is to help us get our schools to where they need to be. So I would love to have you in there. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about it before. You probably have questions. Just go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind, and let's set up a time to call, to talk about it. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind, and then click on schedule a call. I look forward to talking with you. Again, that's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. Welcome to transformative principle I am excited to have Melissa Bernstein on the program with me today she along with her husband Doug is the co founder of the toy company Melissa and Doug, which if you're an educator you know that company, which has created over 5000 children's products and sold billions of dollars of toys since its inception raised by educators Melissa and Doug started the business in their garage in 1988. And they've been on a mission ever since to produce open-ended, inventive, non-technologically driven playthings for young children. Throughout Melissa's remarkable career, she kept secret her lifelong battle with severe depression and anxiety. She reveals her struggles in Lifelines, her first book, which she wrote to help others who are also suffering. Melissa's book heralds the launch of lifelines.com, an online ecosystem she and Doug are underwriting to support those seeking support, guidance, and community on their mental health journeys. Melissa lives in Connecticut with Doug and their six children. And Melissa, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. I'm glad to have you here.
1: Jethro, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you.
0: Um, So as I mentioned, anybody who's an educator knows about Melissa and Doug, and I don't think many of them know about the challenges that you faced with uh, depression and anxiety and how that has impacted your life. And so I'm appreciative of the time that you're taking to talk with us today. But also, I I just want to say that the approach that you've taken to designing toys for our children is amazing because they are always high quality And we know that when we buy something that says Melissa and Doug on it, then it's going to last for a long time, even in a preschool or kindergarten classroom, which (laughs) really takes some effort. Mm -hmm. And two, the open-ended, non-technology-based way of producing learning opportunities through your toys is really amazing. So I'm just Mm -hmm. grateful for that. And it's just an honor to talk with you today. So thank you.
1: Oh, that means so much. And that is Both of those are our intentions. So I'm so glad that that came through to you.
0: Yeah, very good. We could probably talk all day about your toys, but I do want to talk about your book as well because it um, is very powerful. And a lot of people ask, why did you write this book? And I think anybody who looks at uh, lifelines.com or sees anything about this will know pretty quickly why you wrote it. But what I want to ask more is, Why did you release it now? Because obviously you've been writing it for a long time. It's not like six months ago you said, I'm going to finally do this. You've got poetry in there. You've got your story. Why did you decide to release it now? What what made now the right time?
1: That's a great question. It was really only because I think the cry of my own soul to be seen authentically had grown so loud that I couldn't deny it any longer. You know, I, I wouldn't have come out with it if I hadn't been so impelled to just finally say, I'm done hiding in the shadows. I'm done wearing a facade. I'm done denying exactly who I am and all my hypersensitivities. And I just need to be accepted as who I am because then perhaps I can help others be accepted as who they are as well.
0: So do you feel that your pursuit and your effort in Melissa and Doug was a mask for those insecurities that you felt and that was driving you to be successful in that arena?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. And it's really involved and, and multifaceted. So in the largest sense, no, Melissa and Doug was actually my salvation. Because when I realized with shock that I could actually create toys because I never thought I could create toys and I never studied to be any form of designer. And I never even really associated with being creative because being creative meant I was weird and I didn't want to be weird. I wanted to be like accepted and popular and normal creativity just raged through me and created all this dark stuff that I never let see the light. So even though I created like for the first two decades of my life, incessantly, no one ever saw it. And it never brought me meaning and it stayed in darkness But when by accident, you know, we decided to form a toy company of all things, and I saw that really pretty effortlessly, I was able to ideate these toys from nothing. I saw something that changed my life. It was the first dot moment of my life, which was that I had a choice whether to take that horrible darkness that just suffused me every day. And either channel it into more darkness through writing music and writing verses that were in my journals, which were just oh, so dark, or I, I realized I could take it and channel the very same angst into beautiful, light, bright toys that could actually like incite imagination and wonder in kids. And that realization changed my life. So yes, it did Uh, help me immensely. However, although I was channeling all the darkness into light through making toys, I still wasn't accepting who I was in all the qualities that gave me the ability to create and make those toys, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you were recognizing that you could do this creative work, but you were also denying it at the same time, by not letting that part of you out, if I'm saying that correctly. What you give me your words to explain that.
1: <laughs> yeah, because those feelings of darkness and of existential nihilism, which is there is no meaning to existence and I'm not able to make meaning, were so horrible. And I had a voice in my head my whole life that basically said, end your life. It's not worth it. It's it's not worth your energy. It will all be nothing. And it was like this incessant voice. The only way I'm here today is I had to deny, resist, and disassociate from everything I felt and everything I was and anchor to a facade of constant uh, activity, constant achievement, constant racing to quiet that drumbeat of mortality and find validation. So I basically just functioned as a person in complete denial of who she was. And yes, I was denying all the darkness that actually was, I would say the, the spark for virtually all my creativity.
0: Help me understand how the darkness was a spark for such light and playful things that you created. That seems like a a dichotomy that, that doesn't, typically exists? It seems that if you have a darkness, then you'd use that to create more darkness or a lightness, you'd use that to create more lightness. How does that dichotomy work?
1: No one's (laughs) ever asked me that question. That's a great one. So one of the reasons I have existential despair in the first place is I have what are called overexcitabilities. There are these heightened arousals of my central nervous system that make my experience and sensitivity to life, life more acute than most. And three of them contribute to both existential despair and creativity. And it's just the other side of the same coin. So I have an intellectual hypersensitivity that makes me ponder higher realities, such as you know man's reason for being here and our existence, but it also makes me highly curious and always asking the question, why? Which leads me to create because all products are solutions to problems that exist. And asking the question, why? Like, why is this experience not the way it should be? And then in my then I go into my imaginational hypersensitivity and I imagine how it could be. Like, how can I fix this problem so that it doesn't exist? And the experience of users can be flawless. And that immediately comes into my head. As an idea, and I see it finished, you know. So, and then the emotional hypersensitivity is probably the third one that means that I feel everything more acutely than others. And I always said, both the beauty and the pain of the world are unbearable to me. So, it doesn't mean I just feel the darkness, but I feel the lightness too. When I see something beautiful, I cry. And when I see something despairing, I cry. And it's that ability to feel so deeply that spawns a lot of my uh, reflections about life, right? In all its darkness and gives me my need to come to terms with it, to make sense of it. So I'm making sense of the darkness through verses, through creating beauty from it. And I'm making sense of how beautiful and evanescent and ephemeral life is too, by trying to make something tangible and lasting from both sides of it, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think what would be helpful is if you can think of a particular product, one of the toys that you've created, what the problem was that that was solving and how you used that darkness to then create the positive lightness through those toys.
1: Yeah. So I think, I mean, our brain is only capable of thinking of so many things at the same time. So what I try to do instead of pondering why I'm here, which really, I mean, you know, there's an answer to, but, but you could just, you could ponder yourself into exhaustion. Instead, I use my brain to think about, you know, all the questions I have that are positive that take me into my imagination and gosh, I mean, there's so many things. Every single product I've ever created has a has an issue associated with it, or something that's lacking. And I guess one of my one of my favorite products recently it's it's a line we made exclusively for Target. Um, it's called Let's Explore, and it isn't necessarily always a problem. It's a it's an insight. It's a oh, and a, you know a wow moment. And this was that we as as a society, but certainly as children, had lost so much connection with the outdoors. And when I was young, one of my favorite activities was I was a Girl Scout. And I learned everything through there. In fact, I learned to play the guitar when music is like, I almost became a professional musician. Music is everything. And it was from sitting around a campfire circle and watching the magic that happened when someone played folk music. And I was just lamenting in my mind the fact, and I just read an article that um, attendance or participation in Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts was at like an all-time low. And I realized because now everything's about building a skill and, you know, getting in sports, these all-round, all-year-round sports teams and, you know, the joy of just like learning how to make a fire or tie a knot or become sufficient in the outdoors is kind of left us. And, you know, these days it's not really cool to be a Girl Scout or Boy Scout or Scouts, maybe they call it now. And that made me so sad because for me, it really was the catalyst for my love of nature. So I thought, how can we create a line that gives kids this love of the outdoors, but follows the thing I loved most about Girl Scouts, which was getting these badges. It was like the coolest thing, like I could build this skill and then get this tangible reward for it that I could wear proudly like on my sash and kind of feel like I achieved something. It was building that resilience, that sense of success and confidence that we so desperately need. So that's what this whole line became. It became How can I sort of reimagine that beautiful experience and, you know, that that I had and this and marry that with the nature deficit disorder that's occurring in children and create a line that gives kids this love of the outdoors with the ability to earn a badge? When they did these skills that they could wear on their pocket or in their pocket and hold. So we created an entire line from making a pretend campfire to exploring to um, recognizing different uh, elements of nature outdoors to cooking, like setting up a campsite. I mean, everything. It's a beautiful line. I'm so, I'm so proud of it. I mean, I, I didn't do it alone. I'm just the spark. And then the whole team comes and brings it to life. But it really, I think it really served our purpose. And, and I believe is going to give kids an appreciation once they can do these things indoors or outdoors, they'll say to their family, like, I really want to go camping. And it'll come from them.
0: Which, you know, I'm a huge advocate of students being involved in their own learning and their education and and making those kinds of statements where I want to do this and we should do this as a family, that kind of stuff is really powerful to me. For the last several years when we lived in Alaska, especially, we would go camping every summer for a couple of weeks. Uh, we lived in Kodiak, Alaska for a while, and we would get on the ferry and go to the mainland and camp. And we were really like away from home. Like we couldn't just get go back home if it rained or something, because the ferry wasn't going back there for two more weeks. So we were essentially, you know, stranded and had to had to just deal with it. (laughs) And there were many rainy days that we we hated that time. However, We also loved it because it brought us closer together. We appreciated the outdoors and we understood more about how to survive on our own, which all those things are are super important. Um, I want to change topics just a little bit. And one of the things that you mentioned in the book that you struggled with greatly was a, a sense of achievement. You shared a story about in college, how you worked so hard and just dug into your studies and Then uh, that all fell apart and you had to take an incomplete later on uh, instead of completing the course. And that was a huge academic failure for you. I do a lot of training with schools around trauma-informed practices. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is the students who appear perfect on the outside and on the inside are really struggling. And your story about that is really powerful. But I want to ask you, what would have helped you then? And what advice do you have for teachers who are working and principals who are working with these kids to to help them when they are struggling with similar kinds of things where they're burying all the pain and and discomfort they feel and just pouring into something for a sense of achievement that really is not going to bring them happiness either.
1: Gosh, this is such an important question, and I might tell you more than you want to hear. I mean, it, I hate to say it. It starts with the grading system to begin with. Preach. I mean, yes. honest, <laughs> honestly, I have to be honest with you. Kids yep. are no longer sparked to learn. They're no longer going to school to find that thing that they want to spend the rest of their lives learning more about. And they're graduating without anything but a number on a report card.
0: Agreed. And
1: I can tell you my own daughter worked so she she's a didn't fall the apple didn't fall far from the tree you know she graduated her high school top of her class like over a 4.4 average she's going to Yale and she achieved it like she got into her dream school but she said mom I honestly I felt so much pressure our high school has like two or three streaming apps of gpa that people upload their grades to mm-hmm. and it like gives you this real time like ranking It's not. It's not about being sparked with knowledge anymore. It's about getting to the goal, which is in the head, not the heart. So, I despised anything that made me have to fight for a grade. Became immediately out of my heart and in my head. And once it got in my head, it was over. Because if I performed any less than perfect, I was worthless. And it was Mm -hmm. never about the learning. Ever. I never once, because anything that was about the learning ultimately that learning got snuffed out by needing to perform in a certain way and then the other thing that's really horrible is i had an experience where my my writing i applied to a graduate program an mfa in creative writing and it i was going to say the other thing is creativity which is so many of our salvations is very qualitative in its in its judgment, and I yeah. had a professor, the head of the program at a, at not a very good u- university for uh, um, MFA in creative writing, tell me that my writing stunk, and basically I didn't get into the program. He told me my writing was was stupid, and I didn't.
0: Yeah, this huge book. No, your writing doesn't stink. That's. That's the kind of thing that destroys kids that it doesn't need to.
1: Well, guess what? I, after that, I stopped writing my verses altogether for almost 30 years because of that one teacher judging my writing as being not good enough. So I think it's, it's endemic and uh, you know, there's this amazing book called Excellent Sheep by Mm -hmm. uh, a man. I'm trying to remember his name, but he was a professor at, I believe Columbia talking about, you know, our flawed educational system. And it's made us yeah. into these sheep who are just kind of following each other in a line and not ever really getting sparked with knowledge. And I, I see it so clearly in my six children and myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I'm definitely with you on that. And so mm-hmm. much of what we try to do in education is actually demotivating to kids to be part of it. And Starting with grades, absolutely. It is, it is ridiculous. So I graduated with a 2.52 from high school um, because I realized that if it was if it wasn't worthwhile, there was no point in me yes. doing it. And my first year at college, I showed up to the final for my English class. English was my major. And and the professor said, you know, Jethro, it's not really worth it for you to take the final. And I said, sweet, see you everybody. I'm out of here <laughs> because I didn't care because it wasn't meaningful to me. And it took me a long time to realize Mm. that education that's meaningful, for example, creating this podcast of which there's over 400 episodes and over a million downloads in a very niche area is that's where I learned because I like you have a curiosity where I want to learn and want to know how to do better and want to improve myself. And I found an outlet through this podcast, where I can interview amazing people, and it's inspiring and incredible.
1: So my number five child, my daughter, was in this, we're in a highly competitive, you know, Mm. suburb of New York City. We're in the public school, but it's a very competitive public school, always vying for, you know, number one in the state and how many AP classes they're offering. And my number five child, my daughter, she has ADHD, and she is not your standard learner. She is an active learner. She doesn't care at all about the traditional subjects. She doesn't care about grades. Yeah. She's never going to be an academic. It's so clear. Um, she loves sports and, and animals and cooking and you know those types of things. She started high school. She was in ninth grade. And we could tell by the second month, her body carriage was like this because if you aren't an academic in, in getting A's and in all the advanced classes in our high school like you're basically worthless and you're given that even by the teachers because again if anyone's performing below the the level right you're bringing yeah. down the school scores and like they are that is they're not having that. She, she literally came to us one day and it was in October of this last year and she said, I can't do it anymore she's four just was 13 wasn't even 14 yet she said i want to go to this school and she showed us a video of a school that actually is not an academic school it, it is a sports school and she said i want to go here i don't want to go to this school anymore it's not good for me it's not making me feel good anyway we we sent her that next semester to this school. Mm-hmm. And it's like she has changed completely as a person. Um, you, you see she's just walking proud. She's happy. She has friends. And I feel terrible because we could afford to do this for her. Like we're so fortunate. But I mean, 99.9% yeah. of the population would be saying, sorry, sweetie, like you're stuck in, in this school. And I don't know what would have happened to her, but my guess is she would have ended up in a severe depression, like if not worse, because every, you know, she was being made to feel that she was nothing.
0: Well, and this, this is exactly the point that I make all the time is that because of the pandemic, parents have seen that there are other options out there. And that's a great thing because parents need to know their options because what your local school does as a rule may not be the best thing for your child and it's important for schools to recognize that they need to serve all of the kids that come to their school and not just the ones that fit a particular mold and every school across the country is guilty of this and and we have seen this time and time again. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John JohnCat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. Now, in my family, the thing that really changed my mind on all this stuff that we're talking about was that my oldest daughter was born with Down syndrome. And I feel very blessed that I understood when she was born some of the challenges that she would face. And it became very clear very quickly. And what I realized was that all the competition, all the grades that we're seeking after, all this kind of stuff, it's all meaningless to begin with. And it doesn't matter. Because what matters is finding out who our kids are And allowing them to be themselves, as you say over and over in this book, that's what education should be about. And some people are going to be amazing toy designers, and other people are not. And it's okay. (laughs) And the beauty of our life here is that we all have something different to give and to add to the world. And when we get into those situations where the competition is such that we all have to be top of the class, which is impossible, that we all have to be doctors, which is not only impossible, but not good for our society, it sets kids up for failure rather than setting them up for success. So we need to, to provide ways to do that. What is one suggestion that you have to help with that? Before it gets too late, while they're still in high school or middle school or even elementary school, how would you suggest schools go about providing opportunities for kids like that?
1: I think it all comes in discovery and exploring what your innate sparks are. I think so much is, is put toward what society you know thinks we should be doing, like you have to play sports, you have to do these certain things, you have to do well in school, that I think today... Kids are growing up, they're in high school, and they don't even really know what makes their own heart sing. So, you know, we're talking about earlier and earlier having these questions, you know, really digging deep and saying, what might I like to sow? What form of self-expression exists in my heart and I can sow those seeds and really find that thing that brings me joy and asking more questions, do I want to give of myself, Do I want to serve others? I mean, there there are a lot of questions you can start to ask yourself before you're going to college and you have no idea who you are. So I think the earlier we can find those gifts in us and what our self-expression language is, then we can really start to, by that, figure out what might we want to do in life. You know, if you know you're not a numbers person, I was never a numbers person. I hate numbers. And yet I was... I ended up being, you know, a, wanting to be a lawyer and then an investment banker, because again, I, I did everything wrong. I followed what the the coolest, most sought after job was, and I got it. Mm-hmm. And I was the most miserable I'd ever been in my life. So, you know, no one ever, ever said to me, Melissa, you're creative. I never thought I was creative. In fact, the, I only said the words I'm creative like last year. Because never once did anyone even see I was creative, like never really was no one ever paid attention to, to know that.
0: Yeah, well, and that's that's something for me. Also, I've never seen myself as creative either, except I've done a lot of creative things, but I'm not very good at art. So I don't think that I'm creative. And and those yeah, those kinds of comments and assumptions get built into us early on. And, and I worked really hard one time when I was a kid at drawing a picture of my brother and took a lesson, like tried to figure it all out, erased a whole bunch and started over and did all this stuff. And what I ended up drawing was something that did not look anything like my brother. And therefore, I said, I must not be creative. And so I went through life many years, decades Thinking I'm not a creative person. And like you only just recently said, you know, I actually am creative. I'm creating these other things in other ways, but I never gave myself permission to feel that way and, and to recognize that I was actually creative.
1: And, you know, I've changed even the language around it because I think the word creative has too much pressure around Mm -hmm. it. And I've changed the word to be self-expression because I'm kind of different when it comes to this and some might disagree, but I believe we're all not creative. Like some people say we're all creative. Like we all, because if you look up the definition of creative, it's actually creating something totally brand new from the same set of ingredients and meaning like innovative. That is really what creative means. And I don't think some of us have the ability to do that. I know my youngest son, not at all like not at all creative in that sense where he can take the same ingredients that everyone's used the same exact way and create something completely different. However, does he have a unique form of self-expression? Absolutely. Oh, he's so gentle and he's so kind and the way he deals with animals is like like a gift. So yes, he has a form of self-expression that he wants to get out, but it doesn't have to be creativity. And that's why when we use the word like you're all creative, I think some people you see them looking, they're like, no, I'm not. And I think it's true. I think some of them are not in that in that real definition. So I think it's more teasing out of us from an earlier age, what does make us special and making us realize that just because we're not athletic, that's the other thing in our town. Like if you're not an athlete, you're kind of like, up, you know, you're you're off the off the bus, like all they talk about in the in the newspaper or on the online town site is sports prowess. They never talk about like this person did well in school, because in school you're not supposed to talk about like it's supposed to be the competition. You're not supposed to talk about it in academics, but in sports you can talk about it like it makes no sense. So those poor kids who are like academic you know, whizzes never get recognized. But the athletes who scored the goal they're going to have their photo front and center. So, I think there are a lot of double double standards um and society gives us a lot of miss and we, and we end up feeling like losers when we don't achieve that societal standard which isn't at all analogous to leading a fulfilling meaningful life.
0: Yes, absolutely. Completely not analogous to that. And the the terms of success that we have In education specifically, because that's where I'm an expert, they mean that you are good at following rules, that you are good at playing a game, a very specific type of game. And if that's what you know your worth is based on, then then that's all well and good. But the reality is your worth is not based on that. And so I do want to talk a little bit about innovation because you have something in your book about innovation that I want to read briefly because I thought it was so good. So you said I send up my mindset toward innovation as follows. Being an innovator means seeing the world and all its possibility with potential to augment any aspect. It is a mindset of wholly opening oneself up to wonder, ever curious and questioning the why behind what currently exists, and seeing it rife with optimism and potential to be different. It means distilling a product, service, or process down to the very essence of how it functions and honestly assessing whether its outcome is profoundly captivating or intensely impactful. And if the experience is flawed in any sense, envisioning how it can be reinvented to become richer and more meaningful. It is the belief nothing needs to be as it is. It can become whatever we imagine it to be. And as someone who who prides himself on being innovative as well, that, that spoke to my heart because it showed what I believe innovation really is, which is the idea that everything can be improved. And there's never an end to something being improved. So you may make something and I can come along and say, well, here's how it can be better. And that doesn't take away from the creation that you did, but it adds to it. And that if we think of this as all of us adding to it, it makes it that much better. What else do you have to add about innovation?
1: I love that. One of the best you know, quotes I heard is we all stand on the shoulders of giants. And when you think about that, each one of us, no matter what we make, right, we're using materials that someone before Mm -hmm. us invented. So it's really this beautiful, I love it. It's like, we're in communion, right? We're all linked together inextricably, and we'll never be separated in this idea of just furthering society and furthering the, the experiences we're having. So I, I absolutely love that. And I think, You know, when you ask um, me what the qualities of being an entrepreneur and an innovator are, you know, the first one I really believe is optimism. And I think optimism means that anything is possible. And Doug and I, I mean, Doug's even more optimistic than I am. And I think he, he, I'd say, taught me in many ways how to be even more optimistic that anytime you hear a no, that's just more reason to keep doing it because then when you find the yes, you're going to be the only one that's ever done it. And I loved it when my my team sometimes, you know, they would come over when we were in the office and kind of have this look like, Melissa, it can't be done. And I would always say, I'd look like this, and they'd be like, I'd say, guess what that means? When we figure out the way to do it, we're going to be the first to the party. Yeah. And they would slink away like and guess what? They always figured out a way. It might not be at the price we wanted, it might be having to use different materials, but they always figured out a way. And never once did we say we can't do it. We could choose sometimes not to do it because of circumstances that made it too expensive or too intricate, but we always could do it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's what I love about and I I think that what you said about optimism really does does matter a lot. And that's that's a that's an easy thing to dismiss or to think as Pollyanna-ish, you know, that you're just hopeful and, and that everything's gonna work out. And and really I think I see that as a much deeper understanding of things truly are possible. That you can you can overcome anything that you face. Yeah. One of the other things that you mentioned in the book is that you would often say in in situations that you, I still don't understand that. Can I don't get it. Can you explain it to me more? And not that you were, I don't want to say you were stupid. You wanted to really understand things deeply, which if they weren't explained deeply, then you couldn't connect with them and understand them. And so was being an entrepreneur where you were the one in charge easier for you to deal with that specific trait in yourself? And how did that manifest itself?
1: Oh, that's an amazing question. Yeah, I think so. For me, ideas take connecting dots of very disparate beliefs, ideas, disciplines, and like having them come together in this symphony where it's like, I call it the angel singing. You're just like, ah! and like suddenly the idea is there. It's like on a silver platter. And that takes a lot of time. It's almost like I think of it as like a cauldron that's just simmering. And sometimes it could be simmering for years. And suddenly this one random thing you learned like 10 years ago and just pocketed in this deep crevice of your brain is suddenly like, oh my gosh, that plus this plus this, like, like combines in this explosion that creates the idea. Yes, I would say when I'm alone, I need a lot of downtime. I need a lot of time to just let it. And that's my favorite time when I can go up into the the boundless imagination and just kind of explore different things coming together. And I would say I do get very frustrated with others. Either they don't want to learn it and understand it as deeply as I do. So they get really frustrated with me, um, which makes me frustrated with them. Or uh, they want to do things too quickly without thinking them through. So I've always been like a lone wolf when it comes to anything, and I don't like. I'm really not the type. You know, everything is about collaboration and working in teams. I'm not a great team player. I'm not a great team worker because I just I I need to ponder it for as long as it takes me to come up with the answer. And if the answer doesn't come, I have such faith in my intuition at least when it comes to like product design, that I don't force it. If it's not ready, I just don't bring it to market. And of course, other people are like, it's time we need to bring it. It's getting late. I'm like, if it's not there, it's not coming. And and I always know it will come when it's ready. If I just allow it to kind of sit in that beautiful space and just continue to, because it's working. It's not like, when it's sitting there, it's like everything's percolating. You know, it's just the, the the dots haven't quite connected yet.
0: I love that, Melissa, because that is exactly what, to me, true genius is, is letting it sit until it is really ready. And you are the only person who can decide exactly. when it's ready. Like, you can't say, the teacher said the due day is this day, so therefore it must be ready. Nope.
1: And this is the problem with education and with companies is they want, and even in my life, people have been like, tell me the answer. And I'm like, I don't have the answer. And they get really annoyed with me. I'm like, I don't have it yet. I will tell you when I have it. And it will be the right answer from from my, my soul um, but I don't I, I don't have it right now. And I've had people really frustrated me with me for not just that quick fix. You know, we, that's what we want in America. At least it's the quick fix. Like, give me the answer. Even if it's wrong. I want an answer. And yes, I.
0: Yeah. And so in education specifically, we have time divided or we have learning divided into time which is not the way that it should be. And it's going to take some people a lot longer to learn things. Other people are going to learn it fast, but we have no way systematically to move kids through the learning process, except at the pace we determine, which to me is is a tragedy because it holds it holds everybody back from realizing their full potential, which I don't believe we have time in our lives to hold people back from that. We need to learn that as soon as possible and be totally fine with someone saying, this is my purpose in life until they hit 18 and then they change it and then they hit 40 and they change it and then they hit 50 and they change it and then they hit 51 and they say, "Never mind, that was not my purpose. And it's okay (laughs) for people to go through those phases and what a tragedy it would be if those types of self-expression were not able to be fully realized. And it is a tragedy because it happens all the time.
1: So beautiful. That is exactly right. Instead of feeling this pressure to have to get to what we're going to do our entire life by age, you know, 18, know that it is, that's the whole point. It's an exploration your entire life and you're going to change it. So again, yes, it's a lot of these myths that society feeds us with that need to be dispelled. And then the other thing about learning is it's so disciplinary And I feel like any problem you're going to solve in the world is going to take an inter multidisciplinary approach, which we still do not use in school. And until we bring all the subjects together and use them like collectively to solve these bigger problems, I feel like it's not applicable in the real world. Like you learn so much stuff you know, memorization regurgitation that you never even remotely are able to
0: use. And it would be worthless if you did use it because most of that stuff, you can just look up on Google for, for truth. So, um, so this last year, we did something a little bit different. We moved from Alaska to Washington and we enrolled our kids in our own little private homeschool that we called student driven learning Academy. And it's been amazing. And what's so amazing is that the things we've been talking about is how we've been teaching our kids this year. This year, they've been in charge of their own learning. They don't have a teacher who says, this is what you have to do. They don't have subjects that they have to learn. They get to create projects and come up with ideas and things they want to do, which is just amazing. Now, here's the best part about it, Melissa, is that the maturity and growth that my kids have experienced by being part of this has been phenomenal. So they are learning more about who they are and what matters in life than they would have ever learned in the school classroom. And yes, I will admit their academic learning, the knowledge getting crammed to their brains is less, but what they're doing is they're becoming the kind of people that I want them to become. And that has made it completely worth it because they are showing that they want to be the kind of people that I think they have the potential to be. And to me, that's inspiring and it's worth the stress, the frustration, the looks from other people when we tell them that this is what we're doing. And it's totally worthwhile because I love what they're becoming. Now they may choose to go back to regular school next year. And if they do, then that's, that's fine. But we now know that they have the potential and they can start making their own decisions, which to me is worth everything.
1: There is nothing better. And I think when the people give you those physical looks, it means you're doing the right thing because you're not, you're not one of the sheep, right? right. You're the, you're the, you're the sheep that's outside the herd. Oh, I love that.
0: That's right. Yeah. So my final question, Melissa, is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you?
1: Wow. That's a great question. That's (laughs) a great question. I think it all for me comes down to showing who you really are. So if I were a principal, I would go into every classroom and I would tell a story to the kids and the, the teachers about when I was depressed, when I was anxious, when I was scared and how I had to use the tools in my own self to overcome that. And I still have times when I feel that way and I want you know them to know as a principal that it's okay to feel the full spectrum of emotion. It's okay to feel scared. It's okay to to feel pressure that you might not do well, because I, as the leader of this school, feel it every single day as well.
0: Yeah, that is great advice. And almost every principal I talk to through coaching principals is dealing with some sort of imposter syndrome where they feel like They don't know how to do this job well enough. And that is, that is absolutely true. Um, So once again, the book is called lifelines, Lifelines lifelines.com is a community that you and Doug are creating to help people struggle through that and to come out on top. So uh, Melissa, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being part of transformative principle today.
1: I'm so happy to be here and just, just know that our community is entirely free also. So there's no, no charge or anything. And um, we just want to show people that they're not alone.
0: Excellent. Yep. And make sure you check that out at lifelines.com. Thanks again, Melissa.
1: Thanks, Jethro.
0: Hey, middle school principals. What if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? InControl SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy. And it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.InControlSEL.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes.